At Crosspoint, we believe in writing a global story, a narrative woven with lasting impact, transformative encounters, and a heart devoted to serving others. A story that has a mission at the core, to take the hope of Jesus and the heart of Crosspoint beyond the walls of our buildings, to impact the wider world. We're passionate about sharing the hope we have in Jesus with the 7,402 unreached people groups around the globe. That's over 3.28 billion people who have zero access to the truth of the gospel. As you take this step, you'll navigate some of these cultures and communities, discovering not only the world around you, but also a unique revelation of the depths of your own character and the ways God has wired you. Our guarantee is that your story will be filled with inspiring individuals, from your fellow travelers to the wonderful people you meet in the countries you visit. Your global story is more than just a one-off trip to a specific destination. It's the start of a fresh chapter of an others-focused life. There are 1.1 billion people all over our planet whose daily story is one of deprivation, injustice, and hopelessness, living in acute, multidimensional poverty. By taking the first step on this journey, you are actively looking to address urgent physical needs and assist with urgent spiritual needs. Each day, a blank page lies before you, every choice and opportunity rich with potential and promise. Perhaps a globally-minded narrative has been a part of your story for some time, or could this be a potential new strand to weave into your tale? A fresh opportunity to extend a hand and serve others around the globe. So let's write a global story together, a story that provides inspiration for you, brings hope to others, and deepens your faith. Watch what God does when you step out of your comfort zone and into a global story. Welcome to Crosspoint, and that's what we're going after in this season. In the book of Acts, in Acts 1-8, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, and you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those, those last four words, ends of the earth, that's Jesus sharing his heart with us, that we would take the gospel to the nations. And it's also an invitation for you to find your place in his global story. I'll tell you, it, it changed our lives when as college students, Re and I went to Peru on our first mission trip. And and we have been, since this, we have been so challenged and shaped in our perspective and our understanding how God is moving in the earth and how he wants to use our lives in that way. Since then, we brought our kids on, on mission journeys, on mission trips. And it, to be able to see how God is moving around the world and to be able to experience what he's doing through the global church um, and to see the way that prayer, I mean, we've seen miracles and things overseen overseas and just God's heart for the nations. And so I want to invite you, if you call Crosspoint your church home and you have never been on an overseas trip, I want to invite you to check it out. You can see the list. In fact, you can have a conversation out in our lobbies. You can have a conversation with the team, find the trips, the offerings that we have going on this year. Just make this your year um, to experience what God is doing, is doing globally and just pray about taking that next step together. And we've been reading through the book of Acts and Remember, we, we talked about last week how when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost on the church, 
that, uh, that in one day, the church went from 120 people to over 3,000, over 3,000 that had committed their life to, to Christ. And they demonstrated that through baptism. And uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's significant growth in one day. That's like going from playing Bluebird Cafe to the Ryman two times over, like in one, in one day. And so that's what happened when the church began. And baptism continues through the book of Acts. Baptism is the demarcation. It's, it's where followers of Jesus go, I'm going public, that my faith is in Jesus. In fact, you can check my theology on this, but I don't think we see one unbaptized believer in the book of Acts. I think everybody who is a follower of Jesus, they go public in that. I'm not saying that baptism saves us. I'm saying that it is a way of going public that God intended for us as followers of Jesus to go, I'm in. I'm in on the movement. I'm following Jesus. And so we, within this series, within this Awakened Month, we've got a, um, a baptism service coming up on February 25th. And if you've never gone public in that way, and if you've got questions about taking that next step, as pastors, we'd love to have a conversation with you. In fact, you can go online to crosspoint.tv slash baptism and find out what that would look like for you. Invite your friends and family to be a part of you that day. So that's coming up on February 25th. But today, I want us, in our, as we go through this, and we're reading one chapter a day through the books, not too late to jump in, but we're reading one chapter a day, looking at the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 11 today, and we're going to talk about influence. We're going to talk about influence, how to have influence. I've been thinking about this this week. How many people have influenced our lives that we hardly know their name? We just, we don't even know their name. Um, one of the guys, um, Nils Bolin. Anybody know Nils Bolin? No, Nils worked for Volvo. And uh, you don't know Nils. Nils worked for Vol- Volvo. And one day he had an idea. You know what? We should make a seat belt with three points. Three-point harness. We should make that. And he had an idea. And it kind of took off. Kind of a big deal. Like they, So he created. And so... I mean, I just want you to think about how many millions of lives that one idea has had. We don't, we don't know its name. Um, so next time you click it, just think of Nils, okay? And then, and then I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about um, the little research and found this guy. His name, is, his name is Henry Durant. Henry Durant. And in 1862, um, he saw just the, um, just the ravages of war. And he was like, hey, somebody needs to do something. He had this idea of small groups of volunteers who would go into war zones and care for the injured and the dying. And that they would be permission to go in. And he was like, they can be signified with a red cross on a white background. And created the red cross. Uh, it was, was low-hanging fruit for you guys. I mean, it's right there. But I just want you to think, like, millions and millions of lives have been saved. And it's a guy we don't even know. Their name. How many people have, who we don't know their name have influenced our lives? I heard a, um, I heard a story a couple weeks ago by uh, Dr. Heath Adamson. And I have not stopped thinking about it. Um, many of you have heard it when Dr. King gave his speech at the Washington Mall and he gave his I Have a Dream speech. Maybe you've heard that as he was given the speech and it was manuscripted, it was written out, that Mahala Jackson, the gospel singer, she sat behind him and she said, tell him about the dream, Martin, tell him about the dream. And at that moment, he left the script and just, beca- that, was, that was extemporaneous. That was, in that moment, he just began to speak from his heart about the dream. And so from that point on, he's just talking from his heart. Some of you have heard of Mahalo Jackson. But have you heard from, about Prathia Hall? See, Prathia Hall was the daughter of a pastor, lived in South Georgia during the Civil Rights Movement, and she attended in Terrell County, Georgia, 
attended the church um, there, and the church where they were supposed to have a prayer meeting uh, was burnt down by the Ku Klux Klan. And they had the prayer meeting anyway. And she stood up during that prayer meeting where Dr. King was in attendance, and she began to pray, I have a dream. I have a dream. Just cried out to God. And Dr. King was so moved that he went to her after the prayer service, and he said, that, that moved me when you prayed that. Can I use that in some of my speeches? And so before it was ever Dr. King's dream, it was Prathia Hall's prayer. And hardly many know her name. How many of us have been influenced by people that we don't know her name? We don't know their name. You know, when you look at the book of Acts, what you see, you see God's dream for the church and an answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus prayed, he prayed, Father, that they would be one as you and I are one. And God's dream for humanity, God's dream for the church is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, authentic community of Jesus followers who are filled with the spirit of God and devoted to the, to the word of God, to love God and to su- serve others and to share Jesus and to to live generously, and to grow in faith always, taking the hope and healing of Jesus to to the hurting and those who have not heard. This is God's dream for the church. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see what this looks like when it comes to life. There's this great podcast by Guy Ross. It's called How I Built This. Has anybody heard the podcast? Great podcast, great business podcast, where he goes and talks to business leaders and entrepreneurs and influencers about how they built their companies. And I was thinking about, I was like, the book of Acts is like how I built this. It's like God telling, this is how I built this. This is how I built the church that would be the the steward of the new covenant, that would be filled with the spirit of God and the power of God and the love of God, the historical facts about how Jesus is building his church in face of opposition and oppression, how the church, Jesus is letting us know that nothing's going to stop his work through the church. This is the book of Acts. And to think about the impact and the influence of people where we hardly know their name, ordinary people like you and me who are part of this movement of Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about an influential church and an influential city and an influential person that maybe you don't know their name. What I would argue is one of the most influential people in the New Testament we're going to look at today. Acts chapter 11. If you've got a Bible, you can, you can follow along and to set things up. God is making moves. That's the book of Acts. God is making moves. And the first move is the Holy Spirit from the temple to the people. The Spirit of God from the, moves from the temple to now dwell in people. God doesn't live in a temple made by hands. He lives in the hearts of those who have trusted Christ. And so God sends his Spirit to dwell in us, to fill us up, that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. This was God's dream and his plan. And so the, the, the church is moving, it's a portable temples, right? So we're, we are the church, we are, we have filled with the spirit of God and the church begins to carry this spirit out, out throughout. And so that's the first move. The second significant move is that God, God moves the headquarters of the Jesus movement from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's where we, from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, not the one down I-24, this is a different Antioch. Some of you got excited, you're like, I know where that is. No, this is a different one. <laughs> We're going to read about it in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. 
And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay, let's stop right there. So the movement, the movement of Jesus goes to the non-Jews, what we call Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. And so this is the first time that the church jumps over and begins. There, a Gentile church begins. People who aren't Jewish, up until this point, has been primarily Jewish. The Jesus movement has been primarily Jewish followers. And now it's gone to the Gentiles. And the movement has taken place in a place called Antioch. And so they hear about this. And so the church of Jerusalem goes, hey, let's send Barnabas. Now put a pen in his name. We'll come back to him a little bit later. It says, send Barnabas to Antioch to go figure out, like, is this legit? What's going on? Go investigate the matter. And so they send, they send Barnabas to Antioch. Now, Antioch is a, is a large, influential city. It's about 500 to 800,000 people, about the size of Nashville. It's a capital city, multicultural, diverse it's a port city. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. Huge city. And so this is, this, is what's, this is what's going on. This is the context of this. So the church has moved from Jerusalem. The center has moved from Jerusalem. Now, now God is moving in Antioch, and Barnabas goes to, to check it out. Now, I was thinking about this. It's like they didn't get to Antioch because of a whiteboard session. It wasn't like great strategy. You know what we need to do? We need to move to Antioch. How did they get to Antioch? Persecution. They were killing Christians in Jerusalem. They were shutting down businesses. They were putting people in jail. And because of persecution, because of hardship, because of suffering, they ended up, the gospel ended up in Antioch. It reminded me of Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I love this verse. Because what this verse tells us is that God can take what the enemy intended to take you out and flip it on its head and use it for good and for his glory, for the salvation of people's lives. That God will take, listen, the enemy, Satan, he hates you. He's like a lion roaring, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour, to destroy, to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he schemes. And this verse tells us that God is working, and he is a redemptive God, and he can take the weapon that's being formed against you, and he can take it and use it and flip it on his head and use it for his good and for his glory. He can use the things in your past that's taken place, the pain and the hurt and the shame and the guilt. Now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God can take your greatest pain and make that your greatest ministry, where now what you've been through, God can use it for somebody else who's going through the same thing. He can bring about the salvation of other people's lives. My friend Josh Reed says this way. He said, God is a zero-waste farmer. He takes, he takes the mess of our past, and he recycles it, and he can use it for his glory, for the salvation of people's lives. So that's what's going on in Antioch, and the gospel is there, and so Barnabas goes to check it out, and in verse 23, it says, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, man, that's a great sentence, you realize the grace of God can do more than the law ever can. It's the grace of God. 
It's by his grace we are saved. Through faith. The grace of God was working there. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened through the reign, during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so from this passage, what I want to do today is I want to give you three marks of an influential church And I want to give you the three qualities of an influential person. Probably a person that we don't know. Maybe you haven't heard much about. Maybe you you didn't even know his name. And so I want to talk about influence today. But first, let's talk about an influential church. What makes an influential church? What makes a church influential? Is it great music? Great preaching? Is it a podcast? Is it they have merch that you can buy online? Is it they got a fog machine with some cool lights? Is it coffee? Is that a mark of like great coffee? Mark of an influential church? Maybe social media, branding. What makes an influential church? Well, Antioch didn't have any of those things. What made the church at Antioch influential was what they believed and who they were and how they lived. So much so that this is the first place that we are called Christians. Up until this point, believers in Jesus, they were called followers of the way. But then in Antioch, they started calling them Christians, which, which means like Christ. <laughs> and they were like, hey, you guys are like Jesus. <laughs> Man, wouldn't that, outsiders, people who didn't even believe were going, you guys are like the one you're following. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something that as followers of Jesus, people who are outside the faith go, man, when I look at your life, you look like Jesus. Like, we can tell that you've been with Jesus. We can tell, like, you sound like Jesus. Your life looks like Jesus. This is the first place that we were called Christians. That's where our influence comes from. It comes from Jesus. And that we're following him so much that people can make the association that we belong to him. And that we remind them of him. An influential church, if you're taking notes, the first thing we see at the church of Antioch is an influential church believes the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Verse 20, it says, some of them, however, men from Cyrus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, up until this point, the Greeks were out. But these guys, we don't even know their name. They, they took a risk and they had a conversation and they shared the gospel. These anonymous people, these two anonymous people, were, they're the ones responsible to take the gospel to the Greeks and the gospel begins to spread. And what we find in Antioch, this multicultural, diverse, multinational environment, people begin to, to turn to Jesus, and we see that the gospel is for everyone. There's this diversity in Antioch, the Jews and the Gentiles and the slaves and free and men and women and, and different cultures and different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different nationalities and different politics and, 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 and different sexual histories and different religions and, and different upbringings, and there were, there were different struggles and different addictions. All of these people 
find that the gospel is for them too. The gospel is for everyone. See, and here's what happened. The cross levels the ground. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so we see that we are all broken. We are all sinners in need of a savior. And what they found was a savior in Antioch. And that through their eyes on Jesus, it brought a unity. There was a unity amidst that diversity that they brought together. And when we find Jesus, he doesn't leave us like we were. He loves us so much that he's not going to leave us like we were. But he transforms us. What it means to be born again. That in Christ, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So that's what's taking place. They're finding the gospel is for everyone in Antioch, and there is a new identity that they discover. That's an influential church, believes the gospel for everyone. Number two, an influential church is evidenced by both grace and truth. Verse 23, it says, when Barnabas arrived, he saw the grace, he saw what the grace of God had done, and he encouraged them to remain true in the Lord. I want you to see these two things. Grace, he saw what the grace of God, and they were true in the Lord. See, if we want to be influential as a church, an influential church has both grace and truth. Demonstrate grace and yet hold to the truth of God's word, of scripture, of who Jesus is. And the temptation is in a pluralistic society like Antioch to dilute the gospel, to say that where there are many different other gods and many different other religions to say, well, Jesus is a way instead of saying Jesus is the way. But Jesus, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the father but by me. So this is a very exclusive statement in that Jesus is the only, if there was another way, then Jesus wouldn't have had to lay down his life and die on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. If there was another way, there would have been any other way, but that's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way. It's an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive offer that the world has ever known because he says, whosoever would come. It's says, not based on your works. It's not based on how good you are. It's not based on what you can accomplish. Anybody and everybody can get in on this, that Jesus is the way. So we see the gospel is both grace and truth. Influential church is full of grace and truth. John said when he saw Jesus' life, he said, we have never seen anyone so full of, read the gospels. You'll never see anyone in this world who is so full of grace and truth. It's the mark of an influential church. An influential church is also generous toward other churches. Verse 29, he says, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. An influential church is marked by generosity. Because an influential church is not about building their brand, they're about building the kingdom. Demonstrated in generosity to other churches. Because we realize in order to reach the world, it's going to take the whole church. (laughs) It's going to take all of us as followers of Jesus working together. And so they took up an offering, a spontaneous offering, a generous offering, a sacrificial offering, and they sent it to Jerusalem. Being a kingdom builder is indicated by generosity. So these are the marks of a New New Testament church. Influential church, gospel is for everyone, commitment to grace and truth, and being a generous steward with what's been entrusted in Crosspoint, that's who we are. And that's who we want to be. That's who we are, and that's who we want to be. Sounds like everyone's welcome, because nobody's perfect, and with Jesus, anything's possible. So as church, it's our job to point to Jesus. 
is to point to Jesus. Not to point to ourselves, but to point to him. We say, don't look at me, look at him. Don't look at me, look at him. Point to Jesus. Point to the cross. Is it our name? (laughs) To point to anything else is off-brand. And the moment we start pointing to ourselves instead of pointing to him, the moment we stop pointing at the cross and start pointing to us, we've lost the point. We've missed the mission. And we've abdicated our power because we've received power to be witnesses of Jesus, not of ourselves. So like John prayed that I would decrease so that he might increase that he would increase among us. So we, we point to him. So that's the marks of an influential church. Now let's talk about an influential person. Let's look at one of the most influential people in the New Testament that hardly anybody knows their name, and his name is Barnabas. And the first time his name shows up is in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, the apostles gave him the nickname um, son of encouragement, which is paraclesis, which is the same, the same Greek word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said the paraclete will come, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will be a comforter, and he will be a counselor, and he will be an encourager. And so they were like, hey, y'all get around that Barnabas guy? He's a lot like Jesus. He's a lot like the Holy Spirit. He reminds us of the Holy Spirit. So they called him a, a son of encouragement. Now, what's interesting is this is the same Greek word that in the Greek Olympics they use for a coach. So we can call Barnabas coach. Any coaches in the house? Any coaches in the house? There we go. Barnabas. Right? I mean, this is, this is this way he's saying. He's like, Barnabas, man, he's like a coach. There's a verse that describes his life, man, that's just, it's powerful. I want to share it with you. It's, a, it's like his, his life verse just pretty much summed up. Acts eleven twenty four. it says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. What a verse. Man, you need a life verse. You need something to just hang your life on. You need something to chase that. Man, that, put that on a headstone. That's what I want said about me. Man, isn't that what, we, what you want said about you? She was a good woman, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And she brought a great number of people to the Lord. I mean, just a school bus full of people to the Lord. Just made heaven crowded and started emptying out hell. Just bringing people to the Lord. That was just filled up a row at church. Had a whole row of people she was bringing to the Lord. Isn't that what you want said? Like, that's what I want said about me. Because that's what lasts. I don't know of anybody 50 years from now who's going to remember the score of the Super Bowl tonight. I don't even know if they'll remember who, they won't remember who wins. 50 years from now, but a hundred years from now, it's like C.T. Studd says, this one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's eternity. Man, that we'd have eternity stamped on our eyeballs. We would have eternal vision for what matters most in life. Barnabas did. Coach, Barnabas. Kingdom influence requires integrity with others. Barnabas was a good man. That's what, he had integrity. Having integrity is not about perfection. 
Because nobody's perfect. Having integrity means having an integrated life. Here's what that means. It means your front stage is the same as your backstage. It means who you are in the comments is the same person you are in the DMs. It means who you are at school is the same person as who you are at home. Who you are at 1 p.m. is the same person you are at 1 a.m. Who you are in small group is the same person you are on a business trip. That's what it means to live an integrated life. You know how Barnabas got the gig? <laughs> Paper, rock, scissors. I'm just kidding. Um, he got it because of integrity. Because they watched his life. They knew, hey, Barnabas, send him to Antioch. We can trust him. Integrity over time brings about trust. Some of you have lost trust. Trust can be rebuilt. It takes integrity over time. It takes being the same person, being an integrated person over time builds trust. And this is a, we're in a world that says chase influence. Did you know 84% of kids say they want to be an influencer when they grow up? I remember the days when people were like an astronaut, a school teacher, but like an influencer. Here's the deal. You already have influence. Your most important influence comes when you put the device down. We live an integrated life. And if we chase influence over integrity, when we get influence, if we get influence, it will crush us because we don't have the scaffolding to uphold it. But if we pursue integrity, even in obscurity, what happens is we build a life that will hold up the influence that we receive. And when we pursue integrity and obscurity, it's not just influence with man we gain. We gain influence with God. Do you ever think about that? You have influence with God? Where God goes, there's somebody I can trust. There's somebody I can open doors for. There's somebody I can move through. Influence comes with integrity with others. Kingdom influence, number two, sees things in others that other people can't see. Man, Coach Barnabas, he saw something and saw that other people, other people saw the persecutor, other people saw the one who killed Christians, that persecuted Christians. Remember Saul, he was, he, was, he was responsible for persecuting the church. He comes to Christ, repents, comes to faith, goes over, and for 10 years, he's growing in his faith, and Saul saw something in him that other people didn't see, and so he goes and gets Saul and brings him because he saw potential. And he prophesied over his future over he could, instead of holding him hostage to his past. Man, aren't you glad that people don't hold you hostage to who you were before Christ? Aren't you glad that you're not held hostage to your worst moment? But it takes the Holy Spirit to see things in other people they can't see. I think about when I sat at Waffle House with, uh, with an old retired chicken farmer who sat across from me at 18, and he looked at me, and I was a punk. He said, man, I think you make a great pastor. I didn't see that. I don't know if anybody else saw that. But Ronnie Brasfield saw that. And he had Barnabas' vision to be able to see the things that other people didn't see. Man, I wonder who's in your life that desperately the voices in their head aren't telling them the things that you see. The enemy is an accuser. God has given you encouragement. He's given you word. So let me give you a powerful prayer to pray. It's a powerful prayer at school, powerful prayer at work, powerful prayer on the team, powerful prayer in life to pray this. God, would you help me see what you could see? Would you help me see what you can see? Not what's obvious, but what you can see. And then if you see something, say something. And it requires faith to say something. 
I'm telling you, it transformed somebody's life in the future. Barnabas did it. Did it with Saul. The next, kingdom influence opens doors for others that they couldn't open on their own. Barnabas took a flyer on Saul. He took a risk on John Mark. Many believe that he's the one that led Luke, the one who wrote Acts, to Christ. The historian who wrote Acts, he led him to Christ. He opened doors for other people. And the way of the world is to get intimidated and threatened by other people's gifts and by other people's success. Just because somebody else succeeds doesn't mean that it diminishes you. Barnabas understood that. So he promoted and opened doors for other people. See, he understood that other people's wins were not his loss. You understand that when you're a coach. See, when you're a coach, when other people win, it's a win for you. And so that he could celebrate the wins of other people and promote other people and open up opportunities and doors for other people because it was about building the kingdom and not building his name. He's okay with Saul, getting the, Saul becoming Paul and getting the credit for being the greatest church planner and missionary that the world has ever known. He's okay with that. Because Barnabas knew that it was not about him. It was about bringing a great number of people to the Lord and whatever it took to make that happen. That's what he was about. So let me ask you a question. Who's somebody you can do that for this week? Who's somebody that, that is in proximity to you that needs to know a word of encouragement, that needs to see what an integrated life looks like, that needs to know what you see in them? That maybe you can open doors for me. And I think the reason they call Barnabas the son of encouragement, son of the one that the Holy Spirit does, is because the stuff he did looked like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I mean, if you go back to, you see all these things. Integrity with others, sees things in others, opens doors for others. What do all three of those have in common? Others. A life of influence doesn't come from saying, hey, look at me. Life of influence goes, I see you, and I see you, and I see you. If we want kingdom influence, it comes through others. A life about others. If you will make that your focus, that others would see Jesus through you, that you'll be living the Barnabas way. And the Barnabas way is really the way of Jesus. That's why they called them Christians. Because Jesus is the one who left his place to come to our place, to take our place on the cross so that we could have a place with God. He opened up doors for us to truly live. So I want to lead you in a prayer because can I tell you something? There is no way you can pull off those things in your own power. You need the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you to, to pray with me. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, even now, to make much of Jesus in our hearts, to make much of Jesus in our lives. we would be more like Barnabas, that we'd be more like you. So right now, would you bring to mind names and faces, moms, dads, coaches, teachers, administrators, bosses, friends, neighbors, teammates, Would you show us something? Would you help us see who people can become?
not just what they've done. Would you give us the courage and the faith to send a text, to make a call, to have a meeting, to give words of life? Holy Spirit, would you move through us? We pray for power. And would we use our resources and our opportunities to open up doors for others? God, would you open up doors for that? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.